Support for this broadcast of Two Rivers 30 Minutes comes in part from a grant from Striffler's Family Funeral Homes. From TubeCityOnline.com, this is Two Rivers 30 Minutes, a weekly series of interviews with people making news around the McKeesport area. Produced by Tube City Community Media Incorporated, a nonprofit corporation. I'm Jason Toger, the executive director. On this show, we talk one-on-one with elected officials, community leaders, and others who are trying to make a difference in the Monoc area. And we also take your questions and comments on Facebook and Twitter at Tube City Online. There are a lot of car brands that have come and gone, automobile brands that have come and gone. There have been a lot of new ones on the uh, scene in America, at least, over the last 20 or 30 years. Who would have thought that Kia, Hyundai, for instance, would have been a premium uh, vehicle in the United States? But they are now. Who would have thought about Tesla 20 years ago? No, No one had heard of Tesla except maybe in the context of a Tesla coil. But there's one kind of American car, well, there's more than one kind of American car, but there's one kind of American car that, at least in my lifetime, you can't buy anymore. The company no longer exists. The cars are still around, and the fans, it turns out, are still around. Somebody with Western Pennsylvania connections, including connections right here in the Mon Valley, is on a mission to preserve the stories behind the car. The car we're talking about is the American Motors Corporation. And the guy that we're talking to this morning is named Joe Ligo. He is a producer, historian, journalist, and is working on a documentary called, I believe, American Motors, The Last Independent. Is that accurate, Joe? The Last Independent Automaker, yes. Yes. So we we workshopped the title a little bit and had a a small tweak. But yes, it's The Last Independent Automaker. It is a six-part series coming to public television in 2024 and it details the history of american motors corporation uh, and, and thank you I for was jo- going to say go ahead sorry no i'll, I'll let you finish then I'll, I'll answer the next question i'm good all i was sorry. gonna say was uh thank you for joining us this morning absolutely it's it's my pleasure any excuse to get together and talk about cars uh you know i'm all for it <laughs> so thanks for having me so so we're, before we get to the to the meat of this which is why a documentary about uh, american motors which uh, you would have to be probably my age or older to to remember american motors but Tell me first, you you have some Western Pennsylvania connections. You grew up in Mercer County, but your family connections are in in White Oak and McKeesport. Absolutely. I I love Western Pennsylvania. I can't officially call myself a Pittsburgher, but I'm Pittsburgh adjacent. And yes, my my mom and her family uh, settled in White Oak, and my mom grew up in White Oak, McKeesport area. And uh, my first job out of college, I actually moved down to White Oak to live with my grandparents for a little while. And so that was kind of fun. I got to see all the places my mom had talked about and that I had visited on Christmas vacation. I got to, you know, spend a few, few months living there and, and passing around all the old stomping grounds where she grew up. So that was kind of fun. And you went to Westminster College, which um, has some strong Western Pennsylvania roots as well. Absolutely. Yes. Westminster College. I got a degree in broadcast communications and, and really enjoyed my time there. And and like I said, there's there's something special just about Western Pennsylvania in general. I've had the privilege to move around to different parts of the state for work, and uh, I no longer live in Western PA, but I do miss it. You can sense the people out east are great, but they're just not quite the same. We're, as, no, we're not going uh, to we're not gonna get into that Sheets Wawa Turkey Hill argument either on this show. For goodness sakes. Uh, no, no, no. I, I won't stir up that fight. So so where did your career take you then a- a- after Westminster? Did, did you go directly into to television production work or or were there detours? 
Yes. So I, during my, my final year of college, I interned with a PBS program called Motor Week, which uh-huh. is all about cars. If you remember John Davis, hi, I'm John Davis, and this is Motor Week. Which airs, uh, I think, I still the- on Channel 13 here in Pittsburgh. Sure. Yeah. And you, you, so so I, I worked for Motor Week as an intern. And then when I graduated, I got a job at uh, Cornerstone Television. And Wall in PA. Wall. Yep. Sure. Yes, which nobody knows where Wall is, but it, I always just, it's like, you know, between North Versailles and, and Monroeville, yep. basically. Yep. It's, if you blink, you'll miss it. But so I worked at Cornerstone Television for a while, and that was great. And then I got a job at Motor Week, which took me out to Maryland. And uh, from Motor Week, I worked at a couple other productions at Maryland Public Television. And, and just recently, last year, I quit my job altogether to work full-time on this documentary, The Last Independent Automaker. Which probably has you running not to Pencil- not from Pennsylvania, but uh, to Wisconsin a lot. Uh, our guest this morning is Joe Ligo. He is working on a six-part series for PBS uh, about the American Motors Corporation, which has some Pittsburgh ties. And we're going to get into that a little bit later on in the half hour. Joe, if people want more information about the documentary, I know you are still doing some fundraising, and I think you're looking for some, some corporate underwriting uh, support. How can people find out more information? Absolutely. So, you know, we've got a good old website. If you just Google American Motors movie or the last independent automaker, you'll find our website. Of course, we have a Facebook page. Just look for American Motors, the last independent automaker. And uh, if you go on YouTube and search the last independent automaker, you'll find our trailer for the production, which is something I'm really proud of. The trailer, you know, I I worked on it and I stared at it every day for weeks and weeks. And I still it still gets me excited when I watch it (laughs) just because of all the cars and all the people we interviewed and such. And you're right. We are doing it. You're right. We are doing a crowdfunding campaign. Uh, So we we had a GoFundMe. It's still open. You're able to still contribute if if you're passionate about automobiles and want to see this story come to life. And we're also working on corporate sponsors as well because the series is going to be broadcast nationally on public television. And so that means, you know, brought to you by viewers like you Mm -hmm. and – uh, whoever those corporate sponsors are get to have their message on TV as well. Not the American Motors Corporation because uh, they they are no longer with us um, except in spirit. You you, you talk. I, I've I've watched the trailers and I've watched the clips. I've been following this project for a while now. And you talk to a lot of names who, uh, for those of us who are car buffs, may be familiar. Different designers and, and engineers and, and journalists in, in the automotive industry. But you also talk to someone who probably most Americans have heard of, and that's Mitt Romney. How do, how do you come to talk to Mitt Romney in the documentary? Yes. So you wouldn't think of Mitt Romney as a gearhead, but his father, George Romney, now we're really calling on people's memories there we here. Go. Uh, George Romney, before the family business was politics, uh, the family business was automobiles. Uh, George Romney worked at the Nash Kelvinator Corporation, and then when that merged to create American Motors Corporation, he was the president and CEO of AMC for, what, from 1954 till the early 60s when he decided to run for governor of Michigan. And so he had a very uh, consequential influence on the auto industry and on American Motors And uh, yeah, it was through a connection, through a friend, we had the chance to interview Mitt Romney about his father. And uh, it was wonderful because it was probably the first first, it was probably the first interview he's done in years that (laughs) didn't involve politics. Well, and I will say that all we did was talk about cars. All we did was talk about cars and, and we didn't bring up anything political. In the clips in the trailer. 
He seems absolutely delighted. He seems just absolutely tickled that you are asking him about his dad's career, about growing up in Detroit and being around the car industry. It's a whole side of Mitt Romney that probably outside of his family and close friends, no one has ever seen. I thought it was absolutely charming. Yes, it was it was really enjoyable for us to see him. Uh, you know, I think he sees his father as a very inspirational figure. And so to ask him about his father, George Romney, his his mitt's face would light up and he would say, oh, my dad thought everybody in America needed to drive a Rambler. And he'd say, oh, my dad thought the Rambler was an- the answer to everyone's problems. And he, and he would talk about it. And, blah, 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 and, and, you know, <laughs> not many people can say they experienced what it's like to be the son of the CEO of a car company. That's a pretty unique way to grow up. And, you know, he got to go to work with his dad and look at the secret designs for the cars before they were announced to the public. And he got to see, you know, dad would drive different company cars home every night and that kind of thing. And so there was, I think that's a really special experience that not a lot of of kids can say they got to do. And I hate to be sexist about it, but especially in that era of the 40s, 50s, 60s, probably that was a big thrill for for a young American boy kid to to grow up. Uh, probably there are a lot more girls now who are interested in cars than maybe would have been in the 50s and 60s. But for for a boy kid to have your dad be the president of a car company and be on the cover of Time magazine and be in ads in Life and the Saturday Evening Post and whatever, that's that's – that's pretty high territory, huh? Yeah, and it was funny. I asked him, I asked Senator Romney, I said, you know, was it fun being the son of a, a CEO of, of a car company? He said, well, you know, where I went to school, all the kids had parents <laughs> who worked at Ford and GM and, and Chrysler. He's like, sure. so he's, he said, I didn't, he, I didn't really think it was that special till I, you know, till, till later on. Sure. Um, but, you know, there was some friendly rivalry there. And, and, and Mitt wasn't the only one who said that. Some of the other folks we interviewed whose fathers worked at American Motors said that, you know, other boys at school would say, well, my dad drives a Mustang and your dad drives a Rambler. And, you know, there was, there was always some good natured uh, ribbing going on there, you know, because you want to you're, you're everybody's rooting for their own team. We, we have to take a, a 30 second break. When we come back, I want to ask you how you got interested in this subject before. And then I want to really get into the meat of why is this story important to tell? Uh, why should people be interested in this as an American story, as a business story, as a social story, even if they're not uh, big car buffs? OK, absolutely. Uh, Joe Ligo is our guest. He is working on a six part documentary for PBS public television uh, about the American Motors Corporation. He has ties to McKeesport and White Oak. He's a Mercer County native, but now lives in the central PA area. Broadcasting from the Tube City Center for Business and Innovation in downtown McKeesport, this is Two Rivers 30 Minutes. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Support for this broadcast comes from Striffler's Family Funeral Homes. Since 1866, Striffler's has provided compassionate professional memorial services for families in White Oak, McKeesport, Dravosburg, Portview, and the surrounding areas. Striffler's offers comprehensive pre-planning services and aftercare. And through its affiliated company, Design Monuments, Striffler's also provides permanent markers and memorials crafted in stone, bronze, and other high-quality materials. Learn more at striffler's.com 
or call 412-678-6191. Joe Ligo is our guest this morning. We're talking about a project he's working on documenting the history of the American Motors Corporation. And Joe, before the break, you, you talked about ramblers a few times. And the older folks, especially older folks from the upper northwest from around uh, Wisconsin and Michigan, oftentimes will we'll use the term rambler as, as the name of the car. Where, where does this name rambler comes from and how does that relate to American Motors? Why are you talking about rambler? But yes, yeah, so Nash had a car called the rambler. And then after the merger, for various reasons, as models were shuffled around, Rambler got promoted to a brand. Okay. So then instead of being called the Nash Rambler, you had the Rambler Classic or the Rambler Ambassador or the Rambler American. And so you went from seeing just it be a single car to it being an entire line of cars. And then eventually uh, AMC decided to rebrand again get rid of the Rambler brand, and then just call all of their vehicles AMC. And so that's where you get stuff like the AMC Hornet or the AMC Gremlin or the, you know, the AMC Pacer and those kind of cars. We're talking with Joe Ligo. Uh, give us your website address again uh, one more time so people can find it. Absolutely. So you can find more information about us at our website, which is AmericanMotorsMovie.com. Or you can check out our Facebook page if you search for The Last Independent Automaker. Or uh, if you search that on YouTube, you can find our trailer for The Last Independent Automaker and learn more about our documentary that's coming in 2024. Coming in, in 2024. So, But you mentioned these two car companies, Hudson, which everybody knows from Pixar's Cars movie, and Nash, which some people might remember as well. But those companies, they had a history that went back to the very early days of, of the invention of the automobile, correct? Back to the... Uh, late 1890s, early 1900s. What, what was their history? Absolutely. So the, the Nash Corporation, uh, well, the, what was known as Nash Kelvinator, previously was known as Nash, previously was known as the Thomas B. Jeffrey Company. And they started out as a bicycle manufacturer in Kenosha, Wisconsin, of all places. And it was kind of a natural thing to go from bicycles to automobiles. That was kind of the hot new item at the turn of the century. And Eventually, the company was bought out by Charles Nash, and he renamed it Nash. But uh, it's interesting, if you go to Kenosha, Wisconsin, you know, obviously, it's, it was the home of AMC's largest factory. It was where the Jeffrey Company was founded. And so there's a lot of wonderful history there of people who worked for those companies. And then also, different museums and things around the city will have references to the companies as well. And, you know, there's... Uh, a nice little place that has some antique cars. You can see like a 1902 Jeffrey and stuff like that, where it all started, which is which is neat. And Hudson, the same thing, was started in Detroit around the turn of the century by a, a group of well-to-do businessmen who said, well, hey, let's get into this new automobile thing. And we actually had the privilege of interviewing the grandson of one of Hudson's founders. So his name is, is Bill Chapin. Okay. And his father... His father was CEO of American Motors during the 1970s, and his grandfather was one of the founders of Hudson's. He has a picture of his grandfather in a 1910 Hudson, you know, parked outside their home. And it's uh, really neat to talk to somebody whose roots in the auto industry go back that far. And those were the kinds of people we tried to interview for our documentary about AMC, were these people who either they personally worked there or they had family who worked there. 
or some kind of connection to the auto industry like that, that, that really went back a long time. Just, and just to, to hear their stories is really cool. To give people a, a, a sense of, of the, the, how the tentacles of this story kind of creep out, there, there is a distant connection between the Target stores that we all know about, that everybody has probably shopped at Target at some point, and the Hudson Car Company. Is there not? Have I stumped you? I had not you? heard that, but they, yes, that might be one I don't know about. I'm assuming it's a what? Well, because Hudson, uh, the Hudson started out, a couple of the men at least had made their fortune in department stores. At I the believe. Hudson so department store, this? which became the Dayton Hudson Corporation, which became Target. Uh, there's there's useless information. Well, that's, that, a, that's something I didn't know. You taught me something today. <laughs> which everybody, that'll win you a bar bet perhaps someday. Um, were these companies, this Nash company and this Hudson company, these two car companies that were, were battling it out literally with, with Henry Ford and, and Ransom Olds and all these pioneers of the auto industry, were they successful companies for most of their existence? That's a complicated question. Uh-huh. It depends. There were, you know, they had areas of boom and bust and cycles of boom and bust. And, you know, the reason we have the, our film has the title that it has, The Last Independent Automaker. The reason why it's called that is because when talking about the auto industry, uh, journalists and analysts kind of classified American car companies into two classes. There were the big three, which was GM. Ford and Chrysler, because they, you know, mm-hmm. the, between the three of them, they controlled 90% of the market or 80% of the market. And then you had what were the independents, because often they were small companies that were not conglomerates. You know, Chrysler was multiple companies merged into one, GM was multiple companies merged into one. And so the independents were companies like Nash, Hudson, Studebaker, Packard, those kind of smaller companies that, um, that, had that other 10% of the market. And so there were periods where they were very successful. You know, Packard sold a lot of cars in the 20s and 30s. And, you know, Studebaker was a a pretty high volume automaker from time to time. And and Nash was very financially successful, you know, both before World War II and after the war. Um, But they just didn't have nearly the economies of scale that someone like Ford would have. And, and so, so, you know, Nash, a good year for Nash was 200, 300,000 cars. And, you know, you'd have years where Ford would sell 3 million or right. whatever. So it just the economies of scale made it difficult for these smaller companies. And that's why in the 1950s, you saw a lot of them begin merging with each other uh, to try and get volume up and costs down. You, you you answered the next question I was going to ask, which is why then did this Nash company and the Hudson company then merge to form American Motors? But you you sort of answered my question there. Um, they then and, and we have another break to come up. The time goes quickly. They started focusing for a long time. You you, you talked about this Rambler name that that became very popular. They began focusing for a long time on small cars. Who, whose idea was it for them to focus solely on on small cars at a time when? General Motors, Ford, and Chrysler just kept making bigger and bigger cars. Right. So in the nineteen, well, in the toward the end of World War II, even as early as that, uh, the president of Nash Kelvinator, George Mason, had this idea, or at least his team had the idea. I don't know if all the credit can go to him of a smaller American car, not a cheap car, not a you know, not a, a trashy car, but kind of like everything you like about a big car in a smaller, more affordable package. And he had this idea that more Americans are going to need a second car. So why don't they buy it from Nash? And so that's what the Rambler was. And then Mason, after Hudson and Nash merged, Mason Mason passed away suddenly. 
and Romney took over, and he carried that philosophy even further of Mitt, saying Mitt Romney's dad, George it. Romney, just to clarify, Mitt Romney's dad. Yes, George. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yes. For for the for the listeners who missed the beginning, we were talking about George Romney and how he worked at American Motors before he went into politics. And yes, he really became a a true disciple of small cars. He kind of put all of AMC's resources and said, "Look, the cars from GM and Ford and Chrysler keep getting bigger and bigger every year. Let's go the opposite direction. We'll build a small car." And will, you know, not a cheap car, not a junker, something that is compact, but still quality. And we'll sell that to America because you had a lot of people moving into the suburbs. You had a lot of people moving out of the city into the neighborhoods and they needed a car to get around and run their errands. And, you know, I think I think Pittsburgh's a great example of a city like that. Right. There's a lot of neighborhoods in Pittsburgh where driving is the, the best way to get around. Mm-hmm. And if somebody is taking the main car to work because you had a lot of single income families in the 1950s you know if if dad's taking the the chevrolet or the buick to go work at the mill then mom needs a rambler to go to the grocery store and amc was one of the first companies that really understood that demographic shift and marketed to families and marketed specifically to women because they understood that women had specific needs and that a one size fits all approach wasn't necessarily what every family was looking for. And so having a set a Rambler as a second car uh, was a big deal. And that actually Mitt Romney said that he said uh, when we interviewed Senator Mitt Romney, he said his father used to say, you know, I don't care what their first car is as long as their second car is a Rambler. <laughs> Let's pause right there because this sounds like it would be a great strategy, but uh, something went wrong, which which skipping to the, the end of the story explains why we possibly don't have American Motors cars to buy anymore. Joe Ligo is working on a six-part documentary for PBS television about the history of the American Motors Corporation. You can find it online. You can find it on Facebook. Uh, he's had a Kickstarter going, but he's also looking for corporate underwriters right now as well. Broadcasting from the Tube City Center for Business and Innovation in downtown McKeesport, this is Two Rivers 30 Minutes, and we'll be back in 30 seconds to wrap things up. The Pennsylvania Veterans Foundation, dedicated to serving Pennsylvania veterans, their families, and the organizations that support them. If you're a veteran, learn how they can help you. If you want to help our veterans, learn how you can help them. Visit paveteransfoundation.org. The Pennsylvania Veterans Foundation, serving all who served. We're Mon Valley Proud. For a final few minutes with Joe Ligo, we're talking about his American Motors documentary. Uh, Joe uh, has his roots in western Pennsylvania. He's a Westminster College graduate, and uh, his uh, mom's side of the family is from the McKeesport, White Oak area. So before the break, we were talking about, you know, this idea of that American Motors had that, hey, people need a second car. They need a more economical car. They don't need the big Buick Electra 225 just to go to the supermarket or to take the kids to school. But that seems like, especially was the fuel crisis was going to happen in the 70s, that seems like American Motors, you know, must have been making money hand over fist. And yet they're not around anymore. They got swallowed up by the Chrysler Corporation. What would happen? What went wrong to this this small car philosophy? Sure. So, you know, obviously I, I can't go into every little detail or else we'll be here for, for longer. It'll be a six-part podcast. It'll be a six-part podcast, right? Right, exactly. But you know, if I could point to American Motors' biggest mistake, I would say it was chronic inconsistency. Um, you had some great ideas, and then 
you would have a CEO leave or a management team would leave and they would go the opposite direction. And so George Romney, who was CEO, uh, left to be governor of Michigan. And that's how the whole Romney family got into politics. And after him, the company started going in a different direction, started building bigger cars, and they ran into some financial issues with that because building bigger, fancier cars cost more money to manufacture. And so profits got squeezed. And But then they had another sort of successful period in the 70s where they got back to making compact cars, stuff like the Hornet, which my, my grandfather, who lived in McKeesport, the White Oak area, had an AMC Hornet. Mm-hmm. And well, he had one until my, my teenage mother uh, wrecked it sliding <laughs> down a hill that was covered in black ice. Sure. So I'm sure every Pittsburgher has, has gone had that, that experience. Yes. Yes. Every Everyone in Pittsburgh has had that experience of uh, you're going down a hill and then all of a sudden the car starts going a different direction. Let me ask you. Let me ask you a question that I, I don't mean to hurt your feelings, and I don't mean to hurt the feelings of any car collectors out there who collect AMC's. But there, there has been the perception, certainly, certainly in popular culture, that the, the AMC cars were losers. We, we saw, you know, the movie Wayne's World uh, when they wanted to show that Wayne was kind of a loser. What kind of car did they put him in? They put him in an AMC Pacer. The Simpsons, when they want to show someone's kind of a loser, they put him in a, uh, a AMC Gremlin. Uh, I, I just finished watching uh, Better Call Saul, and when they do flashback to the, the childhood uh, of the one character to kind of show that she her family were losers. They're driving an AMC station wagon. So w- w- why did it get this reputation then as a loser car if it was so successful for so long? Uh, I think there's a couple things going on there. I think, you know, being the underdog makes them an easy target. Um, and I think part of it, too, was that on the used car market, there were eras where AMCs were not the most respected used cars. And so you Mm -hmm. did have a situation where the Gremlin was a very popular car when it was new. I mean, AMC sold 600,000 of them over the course of several years. And, you know, they had to add extra shifts at the factory Mm -hmm. to build more Gremlins. But then you got into an issue where, you know, if somebody's driving a Gremlin that's four or five years old, you know, that's not a car that is prestigious by any means, the same way that driving a four or five-year-old Pinto isn't. Mm -hmm. But fact that they were amc they were different they were a little weird you know it was harder to find dealerships it was harder to get parts um they became they just had a softer resale value and Mm -hmm. i think the the bad reputation for the gremlin and the pacer really didn't come along till the 80s when those cars started to become cheap used car stuff like the simpsons stuff like wayne's world these cars were already 10 15 years old Mm -hmm. When these shows started making fun of them. Why is this documentary important to you and why is it important for for people to to know this story? It's interesting you ask that. I was looking at uh, a friend sent me a newspaper clipping from 1979 for Northview AMC Jeep on McKnight Road, which was a a local Pittsburgh Pittsburgh dealer. Yeah. And, you know, now it's a it's like a giant eagle or something like that. And, you know, it's kind of sad to see that these things that used to be parts of our neighborhoods are gone, especially when you go to Kenosha, where the cars were built. You realize that, you know, this these cars built this city, you know, every school, every courthouse, every church, every local restaurant was paid for by people who worked at that factory and spent their money in that community. When you talk about these cars, you realize that they're not just cars. There are things that are attached to memories and families and businesses. And hearing people talk about it, 
uh, is important. It's important to know where we came from. To, to give people your website, again, where, where they can see the trailers and, and if they would like to contribute or maybe they have a story they want to tell you, uh, how do they get in touch with you? Absolutely. You can find us on Facebook as The Last Independent Automaker. We have a page where we post all kinds of fun AMC clips and pictures. And then, of course, we have a website, AmericanMotorsMovie.com, where you can watch the official trailer there. And if you're a real AMC nut, and you want to help us do this project, we really appreciate it. We have a way you can donate to our GoFundMe campaign as well. Anybody back here in, in Western Pennsylvania you want to say hello to? I'll just say hello to the family and, and all the folks in Pittsburgh who are part of the AMC community. It's interesting. Pennsylvania was one of the top five markets for American Motors cars. And there's still a lot of people that come out of the woodwork every summer who go to car shows who are from Pittsburgh and Altoona and, you know, yeah. even here in the east, uh, there's a lot of folks with with javelins and AMXs and, and AMC Eagles and stuff who who grew up in Pennsylvania and still live there. So there's a strong community of collectors for sure. And I'm thankful to be a part of it. And you and, and you're kind of like Victor Kayyem, who used to do the Remington Razor commercials or, or the guy from the Hair Club for Men. You, you like it so much you bought the product, right? You, you have an AMC, do you not? Absolutely, yes. I have a 1972 AMC Ambassador, which I guess is very appropriate because I am now an ambassador <laughs> for AMC. Good shot, Joe Ligo. Joe Ligo has been our guest. You can find him online with his American Motors documentary coming to public television in 2024. Thank you, Joe, for taking some time to talk with us this morning. Absolutely. It was a lot of fun. I love talking about cars. Thanks for having me. And thank you all for listening today to Two Rivers 30 Minutes, broadcasting from the Tube City Center for Business and Innovation in downtown McKeesport. So long for now. You've been listening to Two Rivers 30 Minutes, copyright Tube City Community Media Incorporated. Opinions expressed on this program are not those of Tube City Community Media Incorporated. Listener support makes this program possible. If you'd like to make a tax-deductible contribution, please visit our website at tubecityonline.com and click on the donate link. You can also get a free subscription to this program and other podcasts at our website using Apple's iTunes or Stitcher.com. If you've got a question or comment, we hope you'll write to us. Our address is Tube City Community Media Incorporated, P.O. Box 94, the Keysport PA, 15134. You can email us at TubeCityTiger at gmail.com or call us at area code 412-614-9659. And you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at TubeCityOnline. Online.